The Lord, our Redeemer, be with you. And also with you. This is Holy Week, and normally in our churches we have services day by day, but we're still living in lockdown, so our services this Holy Week are coming from the Sea House Chapel here in Kilmore. You're very welcome, and I do pray that you will join in these services on a daily basis and be blessed by them. It's Wednesday in Holy Week and you're very welcome to share in these services as we walk the way of the cross with Christ. And we begin our service with prayer, so let us pray. God of our days and years, we set this time aside for you. Form in us the likeness of Christ. And as we walk with him in the shadow of death, on the way to the cross, that he might be our companion on the road. For his name's sake, amen. A reading from St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, read by Jean Glenfield. The reading is taken from Mark, chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. The anointing of Jesus. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. But there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment thus wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they reproached her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you will, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burying. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we turn to God's word, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditation of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The anointing passage before us today, Wednesday in Holy Week, begins the passion narrative proper. This extravagant gesture by an unnamed woman is the meat in Mark's literary sandwich, which we saw yesterday in the plot in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14, and then in the betrayal of Judas in verses 10 and 11. In the Passion narrative, Mark is drawing all the strands of the story of Jesus together in a very rich tapestry. So let's explore a number of these strands in the Passion narrative 
In the passage that Jean read for us earlier on in Mark chapter 14 and verses 3 to 9. You may want to follow that or read that today. The first thing that I want us to be aware of is that we need to be clear of what anointing is. What is it? Anointing involves pouring oil, usually olive oil, or perfume on someone's head. And it was used, it was used in biblical times for various reasons. As a sign of hospitality for some distinguished visitor to your home. It was also used in the consecration of priests who were set apart for God's work or for a king who was to be the shepherd of God's people. And it was used by Jewish people as a burial rite at the time of death. A body was anointed with spices and perfumes at the time of death as a sign of love and devotion. Mark locates this anointing in this chapter in Bethany, which means the house of the poor. And that resonates uh, in this story. Bethany is a village two miles from Jerusalem, and Jesus was lodging there during his pilgrimage to Jerusalem with his good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And his disciples were also present in their home. And while there at Bethany, Jesus, his friends, and his disciples were invited to a dinner by Simon the leper. Do you notice that in verse 3? This man had clearly been cleansed from this contagious skin disease, or else he wouldn't be able to invite people into his home, the same way that we're not able to invite people into our home today because of COVID. And while at the dinner table, an unnamed, unidentified woman came with an alabaster flask of expensive perfume, broke it, and poured the contents on Jesus' head. She anointed him. Alabaster is a soft form of the mineral calcite, which we find here in Ireland, and it was commonly used as a container for very expensive perfume, like the perfume Mark recalls here. It was made from nard, which is an Indian spice, and it's extremely costly and expensive. Again, Mark tells us that it was worth almost a year's wages of a, a laboring person, a whole year's pay, just poured out in a moment of extravagance. Now, some of the dinner party saw it very differently. They viewed this over-the-top gesture by this woman as a waste, particularly a waste of money. It could have been used in their thinking for better purposes, for charity to the poor. And this was Bethany, the house of the poor. And so in verse 5 we read, they berated her, they scolded her. You can almost feel the cut of their criticism. Jesus returns their rebuke. Leave her alone, he says. Why are you getting at her? 
for she has done a beautiful thing for me. In verse 6, she has done all that she could. She has anointed my body before my burial. That's clearly said in verse 8 by Jesus. Of course, the money could have been used to alleviate poverty. The poor Jesus said, you will have with you always. And this wasn't to dismiss poverty. Jesus had a great heart for the poor. He had a strong concern for those who were poor materially and those poor in spirit in the gospel. But for Jesus, poverty is a symbol of the fallenness of humanity. It is a symptom, not the disease. And Jesus was going to die to deal with the disease that the Bible calls sin and to eradicate many symptoms of sin, including poverty. This extravagant gesture by this unnamed woman pointed directly to Jesus' death, which was inevitable, as Mark has shared with us in his Passion narrative. It was inescapable. It was certain. Jesus was soon to die. And this woman, this unnamed woman, was preparing him for his burial. Now the episode in Simon the leper's house closes with a, a pronouncement from Jesus. We read this in verse 9. Truly, I say to you, whatever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be in memory of her. What an incredible comment. Jesus envisages the gospel reaching the whole ends of the earth. This was in the confines of a friend's home in Bethany, a small village in Israel. There would be a worldwide proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that good news was about his death as the means for God's salvation. And significantly, it wasn't the woman's name, but the woman's act that was to be remembered. She had done a beautiful thing for Jesus. Now we've come to the end of this short passage, which begins the Passion narrative in Mark's Gospel in chapter 14. I'd like to draw our attention to three things. First of all, the contrast between the actions of this woman and those who had planned to kill Jesus and Judas the betrayer. Mark has put these stories together deliberately to make this point of contrast. Those who were going to kill Jesus and Judas who was going to betray him, to put him into their hands, were driven by self-interest, by envy, by hatred, by greed. Whereas, in contrast, this unidentified woman was motivated by love, by devotion, by humility. Our motives, you see, are seen in our actions. 
I wonder what our actions say in our attitude towards Jesus. Secondly, we can also observe in this passage the role that criticism plays. It's been there all along in Mark's gospel, and it's coming to a crescendo. The hurlers from the ditch are always with us. Even more so today, those who lob their grenades from afar under the cloak of virtual anonymity get to so many people. But who did the right thing in this story? The woman or her critics at the dinner party? Jesus is very clear. Love or allegiance to him trumps all other passions and purposes, including good causes, like the alleviation of poverty. What is done for Jesus lasts and passes the test of time, just like this woman's beautiful action for Jesus. And lastly, as we conclude, I want us to consider the role of beauty in this story. Jesus said, and it's lovely, isn't it? She did a beautiful thing for me. You see, everything about Jesus is beautiful. He is full of loveliness. And the lovely thing that happened here in this story, preparing Jesus for his death, was pointing to the fact that the lovely one, the beautiful one, came to our ugly world and filled it with his beauty, even in the ugliness of his death. And in his unique death on the cross, he overcame the ugliness and sewage of sin, which pollutes our lives and despoils our world. I wonder as we close, are you drawn to the beauty of Christ or repulsed by him? Through faith, in Jesus and his saving work on the cross, you and I can be transformed by his beauty. Our lives can be filled by his loveliness, by his spirit. So much so that we live and do beautiful things motivated by our love for him. And those beautiful things are shared with people for whom he came to die and save. And so that his world, his beautiful world, is beautified by his presence. Amen. We're going to turn and sing a lovely hymn, hymn number 101. Jesus the very thought of thee with sweetness fills the breath.
as we close this service on Wednesday of Holy Week, we pray. Let us pray. God of creation, we thank you for the beauty of the earth, all things bright and beautiful. You made them all. And so we pray for people made in your image. And we thank you that in the death of your son, you bring beautiful actions to life. May our attitudes and our actions reflect the beauty of Christ. As we give our all to him, because he first give his all for us. We ask it in his name. Amen. And so we go out into the world to walk in God's light, to rejoice in God's love, and to reflect the beauty of the Lord. The grace of the Lord.